0: EHS on Tap. I'm your host Jay Kumar, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. On this episode, I talked to Bob Green, senior HR industry analyst at Ascentis, about what employers can expect from the updated OSHA inspection process. And now, on to the interview. This is Jay Kumar, uh, editor of EHS Daily Advisor. Uh, I'm joined today by Bob Green, senior human resource industry analyst at Ascentis. We're going to talk about what employers should expect from OSHA inspections. Uh, Especially in light of COVID nineteen, welcome, Bob.
1: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Thanks for being here. And I was wondering, uh, when we start off, if you could tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do with uh, with Ascentis.
1: You bet. Um, I have about forty three years in the uh, HR industry, uh, specifically focused on human capital management—the kind of system side of HR. And uh, I've spent my time during that time as practitioner as consultant and in in various vendor roles and my current role with Ascentis, um is uh, basically a thought leadership role uh, in writing, in speaking uh, in presenting and training both internally and to our clients and prospects.
0: Excellent. Well, we want to talk about you know what what to expect from ocean inspections, especially you know in in light of the hazards posed by COVID-19. What are you seeing uh, in how OSHA inspectors are going to change their approach um, with their upcoming inspections?
1: Yeah, it's a great question because um, there are, uh, the first thing that we have seen is that there are going to be many more inspections. They are ramping up and they're ramping up as your listeners may know, because in Uh, the American Rescue Plan Act that was uh, passed in March, uh, there was uh, an additional $200 million allocation in worker safety enforcement as part of the uh, uh, multi-billion dollar uh, bill overall. And of that money, $100 million uh, went to OSHA uh, for uh, enforcement and, and other priorities. And so, uh we we know that they plan to ramp up. They've announced that they plan to add four hundred and eight FTEs to the OSHA uh, uh agency over the next twenty-six months through the end of fiscal twenty-three. And uh some hundred plus of those are going to be either compliance safety and health officers or uh whistleblower investigators. So they're ramping up, they're hiring. If you go to the OSHA page, they're they're, they're uh, looking for people constantly. And uh, uh, in follow-up to that uh, uh, American Rescue Plan, uh, the uh, OSHA came out with what's called the new National Emphasis Program. Uh, they released that information March 12th, which further refined what they're looking for employers to do to comply with COVID requirements.
0: Any highlights uh, from, from that, uh, that information released? on what they're looking at?
1: Sure, absolutely. Uh, so it really uh, runs runs the gamut from uh, having a written COVID plan for every employer uh, to uh, enforcing various safety standards, primary among them screening employees on their way into any communal work uh, location, uh, whether that screening be actual temperature checks or simply questionnaires. Uh, but that's a a kind of a daily responsibility Um, uh, training of both employees and supervisors on issues related to uh, keeping uh, the the workforce safe Um, and uh, record-keeping and anti-retaliation on whistleblowers are probably the primary uh, areas of that national emphasis program. Uh, Additionally, they have prioritized a couple of sets of industries by industry classification as being target one and target two. And target one is pretty much all around healthcare. As you can imagine, uh, that's a heightened scrutiny because it's heightened risk. And so you have everything from hospitals to doctor's offices to including uh, any kind of mobile healthcare setting and even uh uh uh, residential uh, facilities, uh, uh, continuous care facilities, and at-home uh, provision of healthcare services. So all of that is part of priority one, and we already have an emergency temporary standard that's been released for priority one. Mm-hmm. Priority two will be things like manufacturers, Meatpacking plants, poultry, and seafood, and some other uh, industries which we saw last year were kind of in the bullseye of uh, COVID issues.
0: And from what you're seeing, how ready are employers for these inspections, especially those businesses that are just returning after maybe being closed for a while because of COVID?
1: I, I'm a little concerned for some of them. Uh, this is something that needs to be taken very seriously. I'm, uh, you know. I, I'm worried that an employer may think, well, uh, what, what's my chance of being audited or investigated given the number of com- companies in this country? And first of all, you have to factor into that, the uh, ramp up of the uh, inspectors within OSHA. And secondly, the fact that whistleblowers are now getting more attention than ever before with whistleblower complaints kind of rising to the top of the pile. So um, I think that every employer needs to review what steps they've taken and what steps they will take in returning employees to a communal workspace. And that probably starts with any actions they've already taken or need to take in redeveloping or uh, kind of uh, modifying their workspace to try to ensure that there is appropriate physical distancing and if not, supplying appropriate PPE, uh, protective equipment. Um, where it's not possible to modify a workspace, then we know that employers have the option to potentially bring employees back on staggered schedules, whether that's different hours on the same day or different days of the week. Um, I, I happen to be on the uh, editorial board of Workforce Solutions Review for the IRAM organization. And in one of our recent editorial meetings, I heard about a large financial employer About, I don't know, 70,000, 80,000 employees, I think, that was reopening a large city office. And they decided that they were only going to bring their employees back three days a week, which makes all kinds of sense. Mm -hmm. But rather than staggering those days, they thought it would be um, uh, more helpful to everyone to have everybody back the same days of the week so (laughs) that by knowing the day of the week, they can be sure that everybody's in the office for a meeting or gee if it's a monday or a friday then it's going to have to be virtual meetings you know that that's that's one way of looking at it but then if everybody's coming back on tuesday wednesday and thursday and everybody's going to work from home on monday and friday then it's really important that you have you know modified your workspace in a way that passes muster in case of an osha inspection
0: yeah and you know, during the inspection, what are some things that employers mm-hmm. uh, can do, you know, while the inspector, inspector is actually going through their facility?
1: Well, uh, assembling your documentation is is first among equals in terms of the things that you have to do. That should be done really before the the inspector steps foot on site. And I should mention as a footnote at this point that not all of these inspections will be on site. The National Emphasis Program makes it clear that in whatever circumstances are appropriate, these inspections will be virtual uh, for the safety of all involved. Uh, But there will also be certainly on-site inspections. So the documentation that you assemble has to start with your documented plan. It should be in detail, it should be in writing, and you should be able to go over it with the inspector because I believe that's where they're going to start. You then need to have a well-documented statistics about the number of cases that you may have uncovered. Uh, there's a, still a lot of leeway here. Uh, OSHA has not changed, to my knowledge, its definition of how you go about proving that a case of COVID, for example, was acquired at work. Um, and consequently, if you screen the employee well and keep them out of the workplace if they're showing a fever or answer the questions in a way that indicates a possible COVID case, uh, that's what I think that OSHA is looking for. Uh, as another side note here, Uh, Every employer should be aware of a collateral issue, which is workers' compensation. Every state has its own presumption rules around workers' compensation. And when it comes to uh, COVID cases, uh, you need to know for the states in which you have employees, whether presumptively, and of course these presumptions are always rebuttable, but presumptively uh, the uh, workers' compensation board will assume that a COVID case was acquired at work or will presume that it was not acquired at work, because that's another dimension of the liability that employers face in this regard.
0: Um, you mentioned that uh, the inspections will be, will be virtual. Uh, other than the mm-hmm. obvious, and that that you know the person actually won't be there, how how does a virtual inspection differ from an in-person one in terms of like length and what you know what uh, they go through? Is it very yeah. different?
1: That That's uh, still to be known, in my opinion. I, I have not seen a lot of reports about that. But I would tell you intuitively, I think it's going to be less focused on physical workspace. There's a limit to what an inspector can inspect in terms of physical workspace uh, uh, from, from afar. Uh, obviously, if the inspector gets uh, an idea that perhaps there are violations in place, it could always be followed up with a visit. But I think it's going to be, uh, it's going to start with and perhaps end with, if the employer has all their ducks in a row, mostly a documentation investigation. So what is your plan? Where are your statistics? Where are your policies? What training programs have you put into place? How are you ensuring that employees are taking those training programs are just some of the kinds of, uh, of things that, uh, a virtual inspection can do just as well, quite frankly, as an on-site inspection
0: um and obviously just document document everything right i mean you just have, you need to have a paper trail for everything you're doing correct
1: absolutely Absolutely. You, that documentation should, should lead up to the appropriate OSHA reports. In other words, it should foot to the OSHA reports such that you have an, you know, an overall log of COVID actions taken and the total number of COVID infections that you have detected at work and that you reported to OSHA should uh, foot to the appropriate OSHA report. Um, and that documentation, as far as I'm concerned right now, uh, space on databases is cheap. It ought to be uh, not on paper, but rather, uh, it, you know, either in a system uh, like a, a human resource system or a specialty compliance system. And you can, of course, from almost all such systems, you can image the documents that you have and store them that way. And uh, like I said, space is cheap. You should plan to keep that information um, just as long as necessary or as you are advised by your legal advisors to keep it.
0: Um, has the HR industry really uh been active in sort of preparing for this? I imagine there's you know, like, like you're you're describing, there's a ton of work to be done and to, to get everybody trained. Um, you know, what's sort of been the the response from from the HR industry to get ready for things like this?
1: Uh, it's, uh, you know, the HR services industry, the software and services that support HR, I think has been extremely responsive in a number of ways. Number one, and I'll just point on ourselves, Ascentus, for example, has a, a product suite called CarePoint that happens to, uh, uh, uh help with this and uh, is capable of, uh, adding on to various, uh, time clock mechanisms, things like, uh, uh, heat sensing thermometers, and customizable questionnaires to ask the employee all the questions that ought to be asked each time the employee arrives for work. And there are many of our competitors that have similar type products. On the training side, I think that many training providers have stepped up appropriately, certainly a uh, census has, in providing some pre uh, canned, if you will, content related to, uh, COVID safety and the steps that employees and supervisors and, uh, and managers must take to, uh, ensure a, uh, a COVID free workspace. The other thing that, uh, I think that, uh, uh, HRIS platforms can do is to provide the basis for keeping employees informed on important issues related to COVID. And these days, I would have to say that would be vaccinations, vaccinations, and vaccinations. Mm -hmm. And so as we focus on that and the fact that uh, the vaccinations uh, nationwide have started to, uh, the rate of vaccination has started to stagnate, um, uh, we're very concerned because as a society, we, the scientists believe we haven't reached herd immunity yet. And so I think As the Delta variant and perhaps other variants in the future come to the fore and cases and hospitalizations and deaths start to rise, I think what's going to happen is there's gonna be continued pressure on employers to play a role in getting their employees vaccinated. And I like to say that there are three stages in that. There's advocacy, and advocacy is kind of a no-cost involvement. Uh, You're simply helping your employees to know how to uh, navigate the COVID vaccination uh, uh, jungle these days, it's a lot easier than it was months ago. Uh, That information can be posted on an employee self-service homepage or an employee portal. If you want to, as an employer, if you want to go beyond advocacy, you can look at incentivization, offering money or other perks for uh, vaccinations and that has shown itself to be extremely effective and then uh, at the extreme, if you will, some small percentage of employers are making the decision and may make the decision in the future to mandate vaccinations, which we know under the law and appropriate EEOC guidance is allowable.
0: I mean, uh, obviously, we've seen that there are a lot of, a fair number of people who are resistant to getting vaccinated. How yeah. would you recommend employers yeah. deal with, you know, with that that percentage of the population?
1: yeah it's a it's a great question and and quite frankly uh the future of this of this virus and how how successful we are in in getting it under control depends on that answer um i i would go back to my you know step one advocacy step two incentivization step three mandate and say that uh advocacy has as one of its major goals uh basically eradicating misinformation we know that misinformation um has a lot of roots into society not the least of which is social media and i think that employers can use uh their uh platform uh in uh p- portals and and information staging to uh make it clear to employees that this is the real information and uh you know uh even go so far if they want to as to post uh you know misexploding uh, articles that that address the misinformation head on and explain why uh, it's uh, it, it is in fact a myth. Uh, beyond that, uh, there are you know studies that have shown that some of the same employees who say under no circumstances will I get that vaccine when you offer them two hundred dollars say where do I go and how soon can I get it right. and so consequently you know uh, incentives are are a big thing right now a big deal. And when it comes to mandates, um, I would uh, focus specifically on healthcare industry right now, which is subject to that new emergency temporary standard. And um, OSHA has released this uh, handy-dandy little flowchart that lets you know as an employer, if you're in healthcare, whether you are subject to the ETS or not. And that flow chart, I think, is very revealing because when you look at it, it's just one page, you can download it from Ocean site. And when you look at it in each box of logic where it asks you these questions to determine whether you can be exempt from the emergency temporary standard, which is a big deal, getting exempted from that will, will be a big achievement for many employers. One of the questions that pops up in each one of those boxes is, Are your employees fully vaccinated? Is every employee fully vaccinated? Until you get to that 100% level, you can't answer that question yes. So it's an important issue for employers. Right now, healthcare is in the spotlight, but I expect that to expand to other industries over time.
0: Are you seeing some of the larger employers actually offering vaccinations on site? uh, to make it easier for, for their employees to get vaccinated? If that's, you know, one of the reasons given is they don't want to, you know, have to go off to, you know, somewhere else to do it. You basically provide it in the, you know, in the warehouse or something.
1: Absolutely. The larger employers have been doing that. I think quite, quite honestly, that was more important months ago. You know, I, I was, uh, uh, yeah, I, I was a good example of somebody who, who uh, spent a month looking for a vaccine back in, in February of this year until I finally found mine. Today, that just is a thing of the past, uh, and, and that's great. You can go to your local Walgreens, you can go to your local CBS. I, I can point to, if I draw a two-mile circle around my home, I can point to at least a dozen places where I can show up without an appointment and get a vaccine. Too bad I already have mine uh, because now it's so easy. Uh, but, but you know, the bottom line is um uh it becomes less important, I think, the convenience sake, uh to to do that when uh vaccines are readily available. Now that being said, the employer may feel that it's an incentive to keep the employee on site, not have to, not have to allow them a day off to, to do it. Uh, and they can verify right then and there that the second vaccine, for example, in a Pfizer uh, uh, case, for example, has been given and, uh, you know, uh, okay the incentive right there and then if they choose to offer an incentive as opposed to having to try to verify the incentive from an off-site uh, uh, provider
0: um and you mentioned uh, earlier about the the whistleblower protections i was wondering if you could talk a little bit more about yeah. that and exactly what you know what uh is that all about and you know what does that mean for employers
1: well, OSHA has a very long uh, history of uh, protecting whistleblowers, having anti-retaliation uh, provisions uh, throughout most of the rules that they enforce. In fact, I'd, I'd be hard pressed to find a rule published on the OSHA website related to almost anything that didn't include uh, an anti-retaliation provision. So what they're trying to do with those anti-retaliation provisions is to encourage whistleblowers uh, you know, to use the old hackneyed phrase from uh, TSA, if you see something, say something. Mm-hmm. And uh, if if they if an employee sees a practice that clearly would um, be uh, 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 inappropriate uh, from the perspective of. Uh, communicating, uh, COVID virus from one individual to another. Uh, you know, the, the first step should always be to report that to the employer and ask the employer to please take care of it. But if an employer willfully refuses to do so, that employee should feel that they have the ability uh, to be protected on a whistleblower status by bringing that information to uh, OSHA. And OSHA publishes on their website every, every week, an update of the number of complaints that they are following up on the COVID front. And it's, again, readily available right there on the OSHA website. And um, it's very interesting. They break out whistleblower complaints from uh, self-initiated OSHA inspections. The number of whistleblower complaints, or as they call them, referrals, are generally smaller. But in total, around 17,500 or so on average, new complaints are being investigated or are are being opened each week right now uh, per the OSHA website.
0: Do you expect that number to go up as, you know, I guess we get more, you know, into the workforce being back and, and, you know, uh, the COVID uh, requirements being, uh, you know, I guess more intensely paid attention to?
1: yeah absolutely. I do believe that's the case. They've been running rather steadily steady at this point, um, but as uh, we start to see employees go from home office work to communal workspace work, there are going to be more situations uh, in which uh, this comes up, and you know there's kind of two alternatives: either uh, a whistleblower situation or an outbreak you know what we what we would call a uh, a super spreader phenomenon and we certainly don't want any of our offices to become such an outbreak site and so employers have the obligation to try to head that off at the pass but where they're you know not paying attention to certain requirements um it's i think it's comforting for employees to know that they can't be retaliated against if they report an unsafe process or procedure
0: um and now after the inspection, um, you know what can employers yep. do? You know, if they get dinged up with a bunch of citations, uh, you know what what are what are the sort of actions they can take afterwards to, to you know I guess limit the damage?
1: Sure, well, first and foremost, follow any guidelines given them. Uh, to be carried out, uh, corrective actions, uh, by the OSHA inspector. Those will all be uh, delineated out as part of the inspection report. And you really need to nail every one of those on the head. But then, uh, you know, if you haven't already done so, or even if you have, maybe it's time to review uh, the uh, National Emphasis Program 35-page uh, document that I mentioned that is readily downloadable from the uh, OSHA site and uh, make sure that you are pinging on all of the requirements uh, that are that are listed there. And uh, if the issue was simply that you didn't document what you did properly, I would improve the documentation. I would think about ways to systematize that documentation, get it off of paper and out of physical files, and into a database of some kind. And HRIS makes a great place to record that information because uh, you can you know, keep it for as long as necessary. Uh, and uh, it also uh, feeds into any uh, uh, federal or state reporting you have to do. Let's also not forget that we've been talking just about federal OSHA here. And certain states, right. Virginia was the very first one to come out with its own workplace safety requirements. And they are as tough or tougher than osha they did so because they're one of the state plan states 21 states and puerto rico have a state plan approved by osha which uh, allows the state to do its own enforcement but it's very clear in the national emphasis program that osha will also assume oversight responsibility for those states as well when it comes to COVID. um you know you
0: You'd mentioned a couple of times about, you know, a lot of the workforce is working from home, uh, myself included. Uh, What kind of impact is that having in general on employers? Um, Are are you going to, do you believe that a lot of employers will kind of stick with, you know, that kind of arrangement, um, you know, going forward if it, you know, maybe it makes it easier on them if they don't have as many people in the, in an office if if they you know if their business allows them to do that like what are you seeing you know out there right now from you know in terms of that
1: that's a, that's a great question, and and we've been reporting on that in that Workforce Solutions Review magazine that I mentioned that I'm on uh, the editorial board for. For the last three quarterly issues now, we've been including articles about this. We really are seeing a reshaped workforce out there, and um, whether an individual continues to work from home in a, uh, in whole, in part, or not at all, there are a number of different considerations that go into that one of which certainly has to do with the nature of the work that they do and how independent they can be of office supervision. Uh, another uh, simply has to be, not because we want it to be, but it has to be uh, a consideration of whether that individual has specific vulnerabilities that might make them um, uh, more uh, susceptible to the COVID virus, those pre-existing conditions. Now, if they've uh, been able to get their vaccination, we can feel pretty confident that they can work from anywhere. Um, but uh, I think that employers are looking at more creative ways to work with people at home. Uh, they're reevaluating things like their performance appraisal systems, their workforce management systems, uh, their uh, collaboration platforms, Uh, All of these things play an important role in making sure that an employee can be as efficient working from home as they are working uh, from a a communal workspace. And, uh, you know, bottom line, to answer your question, I think the workforce has changed in ways that are fundamental and that will continue for the foreseeable future.
0: You've said you've been in the business for over 40 years. Did you ever expect to see? Yeah this many people working from home, uh, obviously it took a pan, you know, Never. A, a pandemic to, to cause it. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Right.
1: Yeah. It really is. I've been, uh, I've been working from a home office for about 13 years now. So, you know, what's interesting about that is some people had to make a really, a uh, fundamental transition in the way that they worked, if they weren't previously work-from-home employees, remote remote uh, workers, or telecommuters, as we sometimes used to call them. Uh, but uh, uh, you know, I-, I think it's the responsibility of the employer to help with that. Um, I can remember, you know, 20 years ago, working for a company, and I had a lot of people reporting to me, and one of them was only with our company for about three months. And when she gave her notice, I asked why she was leaving and she said, uh, because I have to work from a home office. There's no local office of the company that I was working for at the time uh, near me. And I just can't work from a home office. I need to be in an office to, to thrive, to, to, to be able to do my best work. Um and I think that employers need to be very sensitive to, to that kind of an attitude. Uh it doesn't mean that attitude can't be changed uh but uh if you're not aware of it you're going to have people who are doing great work in a communal workspace suddenly doing only mediocre work in a work from home environment and i think the employer owes it to the employee to ask the right questions are there distractions at home do you have kids who you know are unsupervised what what's the issue that is keeping you from being as efficient in home office as the communal workspace now that being said the exact opposite can be true as well. In a recent survey I saw that I found fascinating, offered the employee respondents, several hundred of them, a choice. They could have um, a 10% permanent increase in their base pay, or they could be assured of having 30% or more home office uh, work time. And by a huge margin, they took the home office work time over wow. the increase in pay.
0: Yeah. Um. I thought that was fascinating. Yeah. Uh, and from an employer standpoint, um, what is this going to do for, you know, office space? Are, are, are you going to see companies downsizing to maybe like a sort of a co-working thing where, you know, you come in if you need to, but you don't have a permanent cube or office? Like, you know, how have you like sort of seen some trends moving in that direction already or is that going to be down the road?
1: um we we had seen those trends pre-pandemic in certain industries and it happens that high tech which i'm a member of was one of those industries so i can remember uh, you know as as long as 15 20 years ago when if i was working from a home office and went in for the day you would sign out a particular office, which was called hoteling, and you would, uh, you know, you'd say, okay, I need a hotel uh, workspace for the day, and you'd get signed out on this big spreadsheet so that that was your uh, office. You could meet with people, whatever the case might be. Um, I do think that this is a great opportunity for employers to look at ways to save money, uh, if you already had a number of employees working from home uh, predominantly or even just 50% of the time, um, and you had a whole lot of workspace that was going going unused, I think this is uh, causing a lot of employers to reevaluate that mm-hmm. and to potentially save on leases. It doesn't mean you close an office necessarily, but perhaps you contract that workspace to something that is more appropriate for the number of uh, individuals who's going who are going to be there on a daily basis.
0: Yeah, interesting times. Um, Bob, mm-hmm. I, want thank, I want to thank you so much for joining me today. This was great uh, great information, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see how these uh, inspections turn out over the next several months.
1: We sure will, and thanks so much for having me. I appreciate it.
0: All right. And that was episode 72 of EHS On Tap. You can find out more information about the podcast and listen to on demand episodes at ehsdailyadvisor.blr.com. You can subscribe to the show on SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Google Play, iTunes, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I hope you join me next time.